0: This is the power Up Podcast, show 92.
1: There is always at least one student that, regardless of your energy, is just happy to be around you. Welcome to a real-world
0: education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. What's going on, everyone? This is Ken Erman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Matt. A performance is never too big for him, Rogers. Matt, my friend, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you, Ken? Good. We never talk about sports, but we're both Philadelphia fans. Eagles are 4-0. Phillies just clinched the playoffs, so exciting times here for the Philadelphia sports fans. We had a great podcast tonight uh with a avid sports fan and, and coach as well uh that he's he was sharing with me before the podcast. Um but great conversation tonight with a teacher who is clearly just super, super, super passionate. And that's that's what was invigorating for me. I, I would totally agree. And I think that
2: um what I left that conversation feeling is, you know, being interested in being a teacher is a or curious to be a teacher, or, you know, looking to reinvent or just loving your job. Um, the last few years have been really difficult to so to, to be in a conversation that you're, you're listening to someone just proclaim their love for the opportunity to be a teacher, something that I think we get to have that conversation with frequently other educators, but especially this conversation. It's addicting, like I am Very excited and and grateful for what I chose to do for my life um, to hopefully you know make a difference in kids' lives and um, I think you hear from you know the opening line his his enjoyment of what he gets to do and and he doesn't take it for granted
0: yeah you know we spent a lot of time talking about relationships talking about strategies to build them the value that he's seen from it and you know like I I just said a, a minute ago it was so genuine. He was so genuinely passionate about it. He genuinely wants to be a great teacher. He genuinely wants to make a difference in the lives of his students. It was just, it was just a really positive conversation overall and something that I think every teacher is going to be able to connect with, evaluate the way that they are forming relationships, uh, reinforce the way they're doing so and feel good about forming those relationships as, as well as some instructional conversation in the in the same realm. Ken, can I ask you a question real quick before we launch in the
2: interview? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I love and we'll hear about his experience of using Tiktok is he uses his own creations and you know, his own activities where there's dressing up, cre- recording these videos, you know, it's, it's all a part of that performance as a teacher. And I find myself doing the same thing, like I used to wear roller skates at school, dress up in silly outfits, you know, we would do crazy things in our classroom, it never cost me anything, really. And the kids benefited so much more from those style experiences. than my wife, I love her very much. She goes to the dollar store, you know, almost on a weekly basis to just build that prize bin of, you know, realistically kind of junk. Hopefully no one takes offense to that. What would you do? And, and, you know, you being in your classroom now, do you feel like your way of reinforcing beyond just creating great experiences were added experiences, you know, opportunities to, you know, make fun of yourself or, you know, put yourself in silly situations? Or were you more that prize bucket style teacher?
0: Uh, And would you change anything if you were to go in the classroom now? Great question. So for the most part, I was not that prize bucket teacher. I had my my economy system that I've talked about on the show before where the students had jobs and I had managers who created the schedules and the accountant who paid them electronically. And I would do an auction before Christmas break and at the end of the year. And that was like that prize bucket. Field, but that's what they save their money to try to, to get stuff there. But I did not have a weekly or a daily or any type of prize bucket other than those two auctions for the entire year. So I don't really think I would fall under the prize bucket category. As far as creating that buy-in and that engagement, uh, I think it was in the way that lessons were delivered in my class. Uh, if you're a loyal listener or you've heard pretty much any other th- any other show, it always comes up about me having a student-centered approach and small group instruction and, and really empowering my kids. But even when I think about my whole group lessons and those experiences, I wasn't dressing up. I wasn't acting ridiculous, but I would try to come up with, um, I don't know about ridiculous, but uh, very memorable experiences. So I did a lot of kinesthetic instruction where we did battle simulations or we did uh, evolution simulations, I can remember a lesson where I had a number line displayed across the entire back of my room and it went from zero to four. And it was my introduction to mixed numbers and improper fractions and just regular fractions. And I gave each kid a number and they had to figure out where they thought it fit on the number line. And I was literally walking back and forth on the counter across tables, across desks to like close pin these numbers up. And we would have discussion because they would have to fit it in after more kids numbers got up there. So just different things like that, where I was trying to create those memorable experiences for students. Even in my flipped lessons, um, just trying to make them a little bit silly, a little bit fun on my lesson where I introduced mean, median, mode, range, those types of things. I actually recorded me reciting the definition of a median from a highway median. Uh, where I was literally standing between the two lanes and my wife had to come out with me and film it with me. And uh, just recently, there was a a Facebook post from our school district around, I don't know, we haven't had teacher appreciation day. I don't know what it was for, but it was something about like, give a shout out to a teacher. And a parent said he wasn't my teacher, but he was my child's teacher. But the median lesson of him standing in the middle of the highway was a lesson that I'll never forget. So it was a parent that that saw the lesson from while her child was watching it. And so, you know, it just, it was kind of funny. I mean, that was like eight years ago that it, that her child was in my class. So just things like that, you know, I, I was not compared to you and Matt. So there is another Matt coming on. Um, dressing up and, and dancing and that's, I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, so, but in the same realm, trying to create those experiences,
2: I was just interesting. Cause you'll hear a little bit later in the interview with second, Matt, um, he early on, you know, distributed candy and g- gave away and it turned into, um, you know, things kids actually earn and, and want to have. And it's the lasting memories that last a lot longer than Jolly Rancher. So I was just interested for you to highlight that one more time before we get into the interview.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So without any more delay, let's hear from our Teach Better Network and then bring Matthew Tater into the Powered Up Podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? Very good. How are you? We are doing great. So let's start things off nice and simple. Please officially introduce yourself. Let us know where you are coming from and just give us an audience, an idea, and a snapshot of what your career and education has looked like.
1: Sure. My name is Matthew Tater. I I live on uh, the Jersey Shore, Long Beach Island, around that area. Um, I teach in Galloway Township Public Schools. I teach at the middle school down there. Um, my travels through education has been a very interesting one to say the least. And what I mean by that is I went to college at Kane University. I actually graduated with a phys ed and health degree. Um, and I went through the whole rigmarole of, you know, two, three years of trying to find a job. And then once I became an aide at the school that I'm at now, I fell in love with classroom teaching fell in love and I was like I really need to get into the classroom. So I actually went back to school and got my history degree and I have been at the Galloway Middle School for this is now my 7th year.
0: What was it about the classroom that you fell in love with compared to the, you know, the gymnasium of where your of where your kind of a domain would be as a, a health and phys ed teacher? And to add to that, do you think what you loved about the classroom, if you had health classes in conjunction with the phys ed, would that have been enough to fulfill that, that
1: love that you found? So the love I found was when I became a classroom aide, and I was, I had a few students who had behavior issues and really fell in love with the connections that you make as a classroom teacher. And that is not to say that as a PE teacher or health teacher, you don't make those connections, but it having a smaller group of students, because the PE and health teachers see the entire school, there was a more one-to-one connection that I had with. And I really cherish that because especially in middle school, it's, it's all about the connections that you make. And it's especially in seventh grade, they're coming from elementary school. And there was this really like personal one-on-one um, connection that I made with all of them. That was like, you know what, as a classroom teacher, I then have my own space, and I would have my own space every day to kind of operate and, you know, dictate it as my own to kind of allow kids to be themselves and, you know, run, I don't want to say run the show my own way, but kind of that's where I'm going with it. You know, I kind of run things my way and, you know, explore that and be that teacher for all students. And again, this is not a slight to PE or health teachers, because I feel like if I had that in conjunction with health, like you had brought up, I could do that. It's just the situation at my school, it's PE and then there's a separate health teacher. And um, actually, when I started at Galloway, there was like a six month period where they had me fill in as the health teacher. And that was when it really started to shift to where like, you know what? Classroom is where it's at because you can have those personal conversations. Again, you have a smaller group of students, you know, it, it kind of fit my wheelhouse and where I wanted to go with my career. So I think better. we
2: we listen to um, educators talk about their backgrounds influencing their current teaching practices. And so can you kind of speak to what about the phys ed background do you feel you incorporate still in your classroom heavily? And what are some things that you had to learn because you changed discipline uh, areas?
1: So it's funny. We're talking about like the – I bring a lot of energy to the room, a lot of energy, especially (laughs) because I teach seventh grade history. And I always tell the students like seventh grade history, we teach medieval history. I know as a seventh grader you're sitting there going, wow, how is any of this going to pertain to me? but i bring the energy like like i do in the i would in the gymnasium and it's nice that i have a teacher that's in the room next to me that's very understanding of the fact that i am very loud i am very boisterous i am standing on top of chairs i am dancing around the room bringing that you know pe centered energy to the room because i think that really livens up the subject now the things that i had to adjust and i mean again, learning because, you know, I again went to school for PE is the classroom management and now it wasn't necessarily to say that it was a free for all, but there's like little things where now I learned over the course of the last four years, how to influctuate my voice and use that power a little more effectively than just ah just yelling at them all the time. Um, and it's little things like that, that I've slowly now perfected. And again, I don't even want to say perfected because no one's ever perfect. But hit, I'm now year four in the classroom. I'm kind of hitting my stride. Like, you know, I, I kind of have my my feel of how things go and feel very comfortable in that setting. Uh,
2: I'll, I'll just follow up on that. So I guess my question for you is, you know, as a, a teacher, we are a performer uh, more than anything else. You know, the kids' engagement really is determined based off our enthusiasm and enjoyment for a topic. Um, I know from me... When I get to breaks in my day, because I'm so on when I'm teaching in a similar way, I find my breaks being very unproductive. Um, just in that sense of like it's a recovery. So I guess how much do you feel your position is a performance for engagement that obviously you know has history content compared to you know traditional here's the you know literature you're reading and the questions you're answering?
1: well I, I feel like it it has to be a performance it has to be that high energy and i always tell the students the first like couple days when i meet them is i'm going to give you 150% energy I just ask that you give me a hundred percent energy and I they always and it's funny because they're seventh graders and they can be opinionated. They go like, OK, like, let me and then we've now hit October and they go, OK, this guy's actually serious. Like he he's not going to slow down and, and they, they respond very well because they, they love the performance. I just um, like two days ago dressed up as a medieval knight and. I lectured as I normally would lecture, but it brought the little bit extra to it where they were like, "Okay, you know, we're we're looking and, you know, I had stuff for them to look at, to touch and things like that. And it's keeping the energy up now to kind of write off the I I feel the same way with my breaks, like I get my break and I'm like, oh, and then what I've started doing, because it's it to me wasn't productive and it is I will. Go to the cafeteria when they have lunch. I'll bring my lunch down there occasionally, not all the time, because again, everybody needs their break. But if I've had myself just kind of sitting there, I'm like, okay, you know what? The last five, ten minutes, I'll just go walk around the cafeteria and see see what's up, see what they're having for lunch. Trying to build those relationships. Especially I've noticed this year, is the students really need those relationships. Like they have they came in the first two days of school and there wasn't that. And some people call it the grace period where they all sit there with their hands folded and go, they had a whole bunch of things to say, which I loved. And from the get go is now harnessing that like, okay, we have this energy right off the bat. They really feed off of that connection primarily more, I think, this year than in previous years.
0: Where did your motivation and inspiration to teach this way come from? So you talked about when you were in the classroom or when you were working as an aide, you found that love for the classroom. So you can answer this, how you feel comfortable or not. But, you know, was in that time, was there a teacher where you were seeing the way they ran their classroom thinking like, wow, that's exactly what we want or maybe the opposite of that. But, you know, where does that motivation and inspiration
1: come from? So. I had been a substitute teacher for years going through college. That's how I made my way through. Once I had enough credits, I was coaching middle school football up in Southern Regional before I you know, was going through school. And then once I got my credits, I started subbing. And there were two gentlemen that I coached with at the middle school up here that had this love for educating and they always say, you really need to be in the classroom. You really need to be in the classroom. And then when I got to Galloway and I met the atmosphere of people that were there and and the love that they had for students, I was like, you know what? Taking what those two gentlemen said to me and like the, the energy that the staff has at the school that I work at, it was infectious. It was like, you know what? You really are making a difference. And you felt like I felt right off the bat Taking everything out of the classroom, just being an adult there for students that need an adult, I felt like I was making a big difference in that respect, and then bringing the education along with it, it kind of went hand in hand
2: that sounds uh like a a unique past, but you know one that I feel like we can all kind of relate to um you know that that growth in the building um but also you know the advice and and leaning into what these guys you respected you know believed for you i guess what i'm i'm really fascinated by is you're talking about a huge academic switch from phys ed to history and I guess my my question for you is if you hadn't been an aide in a phys ed classroom, do you think that you would have been like if you had gotten a contracted position as a teacher and things had been easier in that way? Do you feel like you would be, you know, more rooted in the phys ed side or because it's one of the things that once you get started, especially as a contract, it's difficult to back away or make changes. Do you feel like uh, is obviously a blessing in disguise. It seems like you're doing absolutely what you want to do. Do you feel like you would have found that same discovery and figured out a way to bring your teaching practice to phys ed or that you were kind of leading towards a change eventually in your career?
1: I it, It's one of those where the, when you're sports heavy, like I am and you love coaching and things like that, you, you have it in your mind. And I've always had it in my mind since I was in middle school, I want to be a teacher. It was just a, hey, how how do I get to that point? Because I've had really good teachers as my own, and I'm sure that you two have as well. Names floating around in my head right now. And going through their classes, I'm like, you know what? I really want to be that person for a student. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the goal is multiple students, but I want to be that person. I want to be that person where, you know, years from now, a student comes back and goes, hey, I'm really glad that I had Mr. Tater's class or things like that. And I feel like this is what I was meant to do. And if it ended up that I was in a phys ed situation, I would still be this person. It's just now I am, I am planting my feet in a history classroom. And therefore, Hey, this, this is my, this is my practice. This is my, uh, my material. Let's, let's rock and roll it. Let's, let's do it.
0: So to flip that question the other way around, if you decide next year and in five years, you're going to, exercise that degree that you have teaching phys ed how would you approach teaching a phys ed class differently than you think you would have if you had gone right into it because of your experience as a classroom teacher
1: i think it becomes the the emotional connections it's the really leaning into because um my district is very diverse all of the students come from a very very diverse background And knowing that connections come first. And it's always about the connections that come first. And having that mindset is how I would approach it regardless of what setting I was in. Um because like as I have grown to I've gone into it with the hey, I need to make these connections because there are, like I said, teachers in my past that made those connections and there was teachers that were not. And you know, it's people make connections in different ways um but knowing what i know now and seeing how much that affects students having an adult who is just an adult for them whatever that may be that would be my approach differently and it's funny you bring that up because my principal um about 2 or 3 weeks ago there was an opening in pe and she was like you you sure and i was like no i i'm i'm in my classroom i'm in my in my home i'm 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 good so
2: hearing about your classroom and really the experience that you you prioritize what it is about teaching and, and really modern day teaching, which is relationship, building trust between students. And um, uh, in your uh, you shared a message about um, uh, how the idea of, you know, if you can get the kids hooked, then they follow much more easily. And obviously you're talking about being engaging, you know, putting on a performance, bringing in the materials, letting them touch and feel and experience history in a way that's engaging and enjoyable. Where I'm also kind of interested is, you know, what what do you feel like is your way with such a difficult age range, 7th graders, to make a connection with kids? Um, that are really kind of exploring themselves and figuring out their own identity. What are some of those attributes that you put in? We hear a lot about, you know, relationship building from the elementary level and then from the high school level. Do you feel like there's any features of building those relationships in that middle ages where, you know, so much is in flux that you kind of lean into, especially at the beginning of the year or maybe, you know, maintenance throughout the year.
1: So, I have, and I'll kind of go two ways with this. Um, one to kind of go directly at your question is the middle school kids, middle school students. If you approach the mindset that they're not adults yet, they're they're not there yet, but they're also not in that babyish elementary school, you know, kind of growing through the elementary school range, and. I talk to them like that i talk to them like they're adults i i talk to them hey look this is and it's again going to relationship building like hey i'm mr taylor's going to see a movie this weekend anybody have any recommendations or and you talk to them like you're a human but you can also have those adult conversations and i don't want to say adult like a a theme of adult but you don't have to talk to them like they're sixth graders or fifth graders because then they slowly gain that like okay you're coming down to my level and you you have that understanding that okay I'm not an adult and they are still kids but I don't have to dance around the subject and especially when it comes to history like I'm very blunt with them that you know history was violent and people people died and people killed each other and things like that and not that other teachers don't do that but it's kind of like a Hey, I'm just going to tell you as it is and middle school situations, because 90% of it to me is their personalities. And like you said, growing through that age range and it it's hard, but there's nothing wrong with having the last five minutes of class. If I finish a lesson early to just, Hey, how you doing? How, how, what are we doing this weekend? Anything? And I will do a round table and I may not get to everybody, but I will just go up to one student and be like, Hey, you had a, you have a soccer game yesterday. Hey, how'd it go? And there's there's nothing wrong with it because it's just that slow bridge of everything. And my goal, really, and this kind of goes with every day, is I try to have a conversation with every student every day, and it could be as simple as a hello down the hallway. And it may not be a direct hello to the student, but hey, I'm saying hello hallway, hello team B because that's a team that we're on, and kind of letting every student know I know that you're here and I appreciate that you're here, and it. It goes very far when it comes to middle school students because, again, they're very opinionated and they want to be adults. They they want to push through that we're not babies anymore. And you can give them a little bit, but then you can also talk and guide, you still can guide them through. And my whole thing is they're not freshmen, like they're not high school, because I always feel like middle school, seventh and eighth grade. They're old enough to have those conversations, but they're young enough where you could still kind of guide them into being the person that, you know, they they can kind of guide themselves into a more positive way. Now, another thing, and it's kind of, I, I think this is where I um poked in here, was TikTok. TikTok has been a saving grace for me when it comes to relationships. I started my TikTok about two years ago, right when that year of COVID where halfway through the year it cut off and the kids left and and our district had like a dance competition. So I'm like, you know what? I'll start a TikTok. And I would post stupid dance videos and things like that. And that meant the world to the middle schoolers. I had students that came in this year that knew more about me right off the bat than I did about them. And they were like, oh, my gosh, I have Mr. Tater as a teacher. Oh, I've seen your TikToks and things like that. And it's that I, I've i come down to your level. I, I know what that is. And It's kind of like that. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, he's, he's not 107 years old. He, he knows these things you know, we, today in class, we talked about video games and they were shocked that I knew what a Nintendo switch was. And I told them, Oh, here's the games that I played on Nintendo switch. And it's like those little things. And I don't like to put research into it, but if I have an extra two or three minutes, I'll go, Hey, what was the popular show they were talking about? Let me see what it's about. And, Have that, you know, two second conversation or hey, you can't wait for the season finale on Sunday. I may not know anything about the show, but to a middle school student, that's like, oh, wow, wow, he actually, you know, and they may, that may be the end of the conversation, but it kind of gives that, hey, I am a person too outside of the classroom and we all have outside of the classroom issues and it's okay, you know, it's okay, you know, to have things going on, but I want to know. And that's kind of where I go when it comes to relationships and things like that.
0: What would you say in pursuing that? Because I I love everything that I'm hearing with this. What would you say in terms of creating those relationships, forming those conversations, like you're saying, making those explicit and direct efforts? What has been something that has surprised you most and how much it meant to your kids, how much it has a positive impact on your classroom You know, someone that is making the effort to form relationships as much as you do, it's it it comes naturally to you and you've you've known there's value in it from the time you started teaching. But anytime we're doing something like that in teaching, we're pursuing whether it's a new instructional approach or making that extra effort to form relationships, there's always those added bonuses or gems that we didn't anticipate. So what are things, specific things that have happened because of your efforts to form relationships that really have just created a,
1: a more holistic positive experience for your kids and for you. I I find that when the the students get this sense of wow, I have Mr. Tater as a social studies teacher. And they start telling their friends about it. And they start really enjoying just walking into my room. And it becomes a we're taking notes today. Now if I didn't build those relationships and I was just stood up in front of the room and I just said, all right, here we go. Here's notes. Most of them would like break their pencils or put their head down or things like that. But they want to work for me. They want to, I don't want, they want to be seen. They, they want to, and they feel like they are seen. And that's always my mission every year is just to, and It's the little things like I actually, and this was like the first time it happened. I had a former student who's now a junior in high school, come back to the middle school. And she was like, Mr. Tater, are you still doing the TikToks? And I'm like, that's, that's what you got. And, and and that's, that's great because you still remembered me. She was still happy that I remembered her. She is off doing amazing things right now. And it's like, okay. Those little things, it was like reaffirmations for me, like, hey, it's working. And, and I always tell the students, when you come into history, there may only be one day that you enjoy. Now, granted, I hope there's 180 days that you enjoy, but I make the promise to them. I'm like, I promise you, with all the energy that I have, by the end of June, you're going to be like, hey, you know what? That activity was cool. Or, hey, that video was cool and every year i do the survey in the beginning of the year and i do the survey at the end of the year and at the end of the year they always go oh wow you're right and then they always go oh that i actually i like this this and this and i was like oh remember in september when you said history ew gross i, I don't want anything to do with it and, and that for me is just the continual relationships it, it what i what i am doing and I'm, again i'm not saying that i'm perfect cuz no one is perfect but it's working and if it's working, I'm going to continue building on that because clearly it's having an effect on them, which is cl- the ultimate goal of everything. Honestly, I mean, you know that.
0: Yeah, the, the emotional piece is <clears throat> the most important part. But, you know, Matt, you've talked about this before where, you're, you know, you, you'll you say that your kids are willing to run through walls for you, especially when it comes to something as boring or stressful or mundane as, as state testing. And I can remember times teaching fifth grade saying to my to my kids. Okay, the next 20 minutes is going to be really boring. I'm going to talk a lot. I really need you to pay attention because I have to, these are terms or these, this is something I have to teach you. I have to tell you about, and I can't do anything, but just do it the basic boring way. And you know what they would pay attention. And I think, you know, I think it kind of connects to what you were, you were saying there, Matthew. Um, So I want to transition a little bit and talk a little bit more instructionally. So I believe you said you're in year four of full-time teaching. Matt, do you want to jump in with something first? Before we
2: transition, I just, I want to just kind of, you know, take a moment and just zone in. And I think you've talked about a lot of things that that you make it seem very easy to build these relationships, you know, Take a few moments at the end of a lesson, go into the cafeteria, ask about something that's reoccurring that you remember, go and visit them at a space where they exist. You know, they're on TikTok. Ken and I, Ken gave, gave me uh, the idea of moving parent communication to Facebook. And my parent communication went through the roof because my parents were already on Facebook. Now, Facebook's not cool for kids. I get that. So the idea of getting kids where you're at, where they're at, as opposed to where you're at, is a huge thing. I think that's really interesting. And I guess later on, we can talk about that, like the TikTok side of thing and and how you feel about it. What I want to boil down is, you know, we sit in, on here as three men in a field that is, you know, sometimes dominated by females, especially in our age ranges. Matthew, a little bit less for you in that middle school and subject specific. But I mean, I'm a fourth grade teacher with two other males in my building. And it's really difficult to say the strategies that you do that make kids want to have you as opposed to just oh, he's a fun teacher or he's a male. I get that a lot. And and so when I have coworkers that ask me, like, what is the special sauce? I spend a lot of time explaining, you know, I put all this energy in, you know, I create fun activities, all these different things. And they say, oh, well, they respect you because you're a man and they respect you because you're, you know, in these fields. I guess to just kind of zone in, if you were to almost summarize, you know, character trait. Mr. Taters classroom, you know, what are those main pinnacles that you emphasize that you'd say to a new teacher, you know, energy, this, that and the other thing, what are three or four things that maybe you are new, or you want to emphasize uh, in the classroom that really leads to kids being willing to build those relationships?
1: So and it it's funny because I had a conversation with a colleague about this today, and my thing with middle school and I learned it after because my first year there it was the let, let's hand out candy please please love oh, yeah. me please yeah. you know it, it's gonna be, and then once I got through that I was like you you can't be afraid for them not to seem like they don't like you. And it's it because that's really a key with middle schools. They're very opinionated, and they will be like, "Look, today, nope, not it. I, I I don't like it." And you can't take offense to that because they, if you aren't afraid to make them not like you, they love you. They they respect you for that because you you have the structure. You have the no look. We still have demands to be met. We still have things that we need to get done. We can have fun, and we will have fun. But if you tail off like there's still things that we we need to do and i will put you in line and make sure that you you do it and if you're honest with them about discipline and you're because middle school to me is very big when it comes to discipline because again they're going through those changes getting into seventh grade their minds are everywhere because chemically at that age their minds are everywhere and letting them be themselves to a point and say like okay look i'm not going to go right to writing you up or i'm not going to go right to calling home like i would in elementary school there's kind of that like okay we can have an adjustment because it's more along the lines of and i always tell them the punishment you get from me is going to be worse than the punishment you get from the vice principal or the principal and kind of giving that respect to them like we're not going to involve mom or dad and we will if we need to but like let's handle this like growing adults, let's try to figure this out. And I found that that really, as an overall encompassing idea, just letting them explore the space as young adults, and you're there to facilitate it, guides you into these relationship building um, scenarios and situations.
2: I would love to highlight right there. That is one of the things that I feel like us as educators feel conflicted about. You know, the give and take of things like consequences and the that nature that we get permission, because I feel like a lot of us feel like, you know, I I have a poster on my wall. What are minor offenses? What do I need to do if there's a minor offense? What are major offenses? What do I have to do in major offenses? And so it's kind of uh, conflicting to say, hey, you know, I had a minor offense that really didn't change anything. I'm going to, you know, give grace in that realm, you know, whatever the circumstances it is, to, you know, use that to, you know, you have to restore a relationship too, and so you having that conversation, restoring that relationship with the kid, and saying, "I'm mean, gonna act like that didn't happen as long as it doesn't happen again," type situation is really a leverage point in behavior management that we don't talk enough about because we talk about, you know, pure, I wrote it up, I recorded it, I have it there and documented, documented, you know, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if you do it so rigidly, they're going to do it again, you know, five minutes later. Um, and so I think that the truth that you're saying is, is not only a middle school thing, you know, maybe the content mm. is a little bit different yeah, and that grace is a yeah. little different.
0: And I think the way that you, Facilitate the conversation on an individual basis, like you were saying, Matt, is so important. I can, I when you, Matt, our guest, Matt, Matt Dater, when you said about, um, you know, I, you're going to get in more trouble with me than you are with the assistant principal or principal, it brought me back to times where I can remember a student that had, you know, done something uh, against the school rules multiple times, kind of a that repeat offender kid that I had really been trying to mentor and coach. And it, it got to the point where, because it involved other students or whatever the case was, I, you know, I said to him, you have to go to the principal's office. Like this is beyond Mr. Erman at this point. And I would call the principal, give him a heads up, give him the backstory and say, don't suspend him, but tell him that he, he would have been suspended, except I vouch for him. Or sometimes the principal would call me on the way back and say, Hey, just so you know, I acted like you talked me out of suspending him. So that kind of that situation where we knew the kid, we knew the situation and we would kind of play that good cop, bad cop thing where he, this, we wanted the student to feel as though I was going on an extra limb to, to prevent that student from being suspended when he clearly violated the rules. And the principle is that black and white, you know, you violate the rules, here's your punishment. Um, And it, you know, I think it goes miles for those kids because I mean, genuinely, I was vouching for him, but at the same time, like, kind of manipulating the situation to emphasize the fact that you're doing it for the students. I, I think is, I think is super important in, in that behavior management piece, like you said, Mr. Rogers.
2: Yeah, and 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 Matt, feel free to jump in too. You know, you probably see it as an, as an even more validating feature with middle school. Which is, we've had guests on here talk about, you know, education for kids is a free opportunity for them to push boundaries and figure out what is acceptable and what's not. And so we having those conversations and making it not black and white, but also understanding the context of those decisions is where the learning comes in from the behavior side and so when kids literally cannot handle their you know extremities down to you know the words they're saying because they've got conflict in different areas or all those features like what is that grace in your perspective and and how do you manage that because you know me coming up to your room probably wouldn't deal with it as well as uh, what you're accustomed to
1: so when it when it comes to and It's always those first couple days where you you draw the fine line like we we can have fun, we're going to work, and we're going to make sure that we respect each other. And in the area to which I teach, which, again, is very diverse and they all come from very, very different backgrounds, there is going to be things that words that slip in class that should not slip in class. And the first time it's the at the end of class go, hey, look, we're not using that language in class. Let's make sure we don't happen again. And if it happens again, then you follow through and you go, okay, I'm sending an email home or, you know, I'm calling home and things like that. But I think it's the, when you draw so quickly to the, okay, well, the rules say that it it needs to be this and I need to call home and I need to email home. Well, the kids are going to be like, you know, because sometimes things happen. And again, it's elementary school as well as it is middle school where you will have students who are, good and then have just a one lapse of judgment where they do something and you're like whoa okay that's that's interesting for them to be doing that and then you refocus them and they're good um my school actually has a room you know the in-school suspension room and other day there was a student down there and i spent my entire prep period down there teaching the student when i sat down there and informed her hey look lapse in judgment really missed you in class pumped her up a little bit like hey look i i needed somebody who could you know answer my questions and the energy wasn't there so please don't do this again and it's it's those little like if it has to go that far and it has to because there are there does have to be consequences i mean my my classroom as as well as either one of yours can't just be a free-for-all and let's see what happens um but you draw those fine lines and you let them know that hey if you did mess up please don't do it again but if it does go that far and you do mess up, I don't dislike you. I, 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 this is not a a personal thing. It's okay. Just please don't do it again. And I always try to supplement it, like I said, with a positive, like, hey, look, I can't tell everybody you're my favorite student, but if you're not in the room, this this happens. And then middle schoolers, because again, I'm speaking from experience, go like, oh, okay. And it's just those little tidbits that you leave them with. So. When they're back from whatever punishment they may have had to get they still have that same energy like okay you know let's let's get back into the the swing of things
2: yeah i think that that makes a, a ton of sense and i think that that restoring the relationship is really important too and, and if you're like me you know when i call the principal and say i i need backup like they they know that's a big deal. And the kids recognize that, you know, you cross a barrier if we can't handle it within our own, you know, four walls of this classroom, because we handle a lot. I know another strategy that I use, I don't know, uh, Ken, uh, in your case, you know, pulling a kid into the hallway is a very classic thing that we do in elementary school. I'm sure you use that in middle school too. But I rarely talk about the incident when we're in the hallway. You know, I'll call them out, you know, directly with like a firm aspect and not a, to the point of, again, the oohs and the ahs from the rest of the class, but we go out and we just talk about general stuff. And then I let them admit what they felt they're out there for. And then we kind of talk about, was that, you know, along our school rules or our classroom rules or expectations, was that being helpful? They usually pretty quickly acknowledge why, or, you know, the cause of it, because sometimes there's cause that's distracting them or, or, you know, causing real challenge. And I often do this. Again, this is just my strategy. I often say that I'm going to walk in and I'm going to act really mad at you as if I really like laid down the hammer on you. And it's that like joking back and forth that they they know that the perception of what they went in the hallway for, and what actually happened in that conversation was different. But they they get that game behind it. you know. We're puppet masters in a
1: way of, of managing that. I was going to say, I, I love the word perception because I, I have used that when it comes to middle school students. And it becomes the, okay, you did something wrong. Well, listen, I am here to help you. So next time, come to me, let me know, and I'll deal with it. And it could be something as simple as, well, so-and-so looked at me wrong or so-and-so said this about me. And I'll be like, okay, well, in the cafeteria, I'll go and talk to them. And I may walk over to that table and sit down and just be like, hey, how was your weekend? How was the, you know, everything good and things like that? But to the student looking at me, it's reaffirming like, okay, he followed Mr. Up. Tater has I, – I followed through and – it's a simple two minute conversation because I know when it comes to middle school and I'm sure even elementary school, there's that drama aspect where, of course, everything is, you know, tied into everything. But again, like you said, with the perception, you give the perception from student to student. And it's like, okay, he's going to follow up and he's, at, and there's that trust then like, okay, he said he was going to do something and he went and did it again, it goes back to building those relationships.
0: Yeah, for sure, and I just want to highlight what you said, Matt, about the the hallway conversation. That that private conversation sh- is a must at all times. We should not be disciplining or bringing light to students in front of everybody. There shouldn't be that show aspect. And and sometimes, like like you were saying, Matt, I would pull a kid into the hallway and just as simple as, "Do you know why you're out here? Yeah. Is there anything that I need to know about? Something going on at home? Are you upset about something? Like, is there?" Is there a reason that I should be sympathetic with you right now as to why you are doing this? Or are you just, were you just not thinking? And then that way I'm one, I'm recognizing that, you know, is there something going on at home? So if there is, then that's going to be the focus of my conversation, not what they were doing, acting out, whatever, whatever the behavior was, or it's saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Sorry, I'll, I'll get right back to it. And then that could be the end of the end of the conversation. So I want to I want to shift this a little bit towards uh, an instructional side. So I think you said you're in about year four of full time teaching with with history. So in the question I ask, you can't use the word relationships, and you can't use the word energy. I'm not devaluing either of those. Those are incredibly important. But as you're in year four, you're you're kind of getting the hang of things instructionally. Everything's not new. Year 4, year 5 is where we can really start to hit some hit some new strides instructionally. So what are you working on? What are you focused on in year 4 instructionally that you want to improve in your craft, a new teaching philosophy or strategy that you're going to try this year or you have tried a little bit? Just you know, where where are you taking your next steps in your career from an instructional standpoint?
1: So there's two things I, I am trying at this point. And the first one is I'm trying to take the lessons that are lively with videos and pictures and things like that and spend less time with the videos and more time with them immersing themselves in the material itself. Because when I first started, it was, you know what, I'm going to be the teacher that shows the cool videos. I'm going to be the teacher that shows... and. I want to try to take those same videos, but have them interpret the videos and kind of I love the textbook that I have, but I don't like using it because I feel like there's a when you tell them, okay, page 22, open up the page 22. They're looking at a textbook like they would in any other class. I want to try to be real with them and be like, you know what, today, close the book, put the book away. We're, We're going to try something different. Or we're going to listen to, I, I'm i going to try a podcast. Um, I was talking with a few other teachers about trying to get them to listen to a podcast. Different mediums that are not the textbook. Cover the same material, obviously, but not the textbook and kind of move from there. And the other one is, and it's working out in many different ways, um, a koosh ball. Those koosh balls from like years ago. I got a few of them and I carry it when I lecture. And I carry it, and I do it for two things. One is it's become a very popular fidget for some students, and I will throw it to them, and I'll be like, all right, you have to answer a question, and then you can use it. And they will say, hey, I learned this. Um, And then we also, I'm starting a thing with a, what did you learn? And again, that whole idea of immersing them in some sort of material, and I'm like, okay, here is your grade for today. Everybody stand up. Here's the Koosh ball. Throw it to somebody. What'd you learn? and just and just bounce back and forth and because there's that physical aspect again kind of bringing in that pe thing again and the middle school who they have energy and need to need to use it um but they're focused on that okay i want to throw that i want to play catch with my friends i got to answer a question and it's a trial and error basis but i'm really trying to and i think part of it was and you know it's the word that no one wants to hear is covid um when they became so technology based, and they were so immersed in technology that I almost found when they came out of, and we're we're kind of been a year that's as close to you know the taboo word of normal that they like doing out of the box things. They like leaving the classroom and walking through the hallways, or they like looking at pictures or things like that. That's not a computer screen, so. I'm trying to find that balance of how can we still use all of these cool things that are technology, but also bring more physical, you know, movement type of things into um, the overall curriculum this year.
0: And worst case scenario, it's very soft. And so if you need to throw it at somebody to get their attention or hit them with it because they're not paying attention, then you have that in your back pocket (laughs) as well.
1: (laughs) I mean, I, I may have done the old, like, fake, like, oh, and then they go, oh, and I'm like, all right.
0: Some of the, some of the kooshes, don't they have like a little, a little loop where you can loop it around your finger? So when you yes. throw at it, yes. yeah. 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 Um, all right. So we have not done this in a while, but I feel like we are s- segueing into this perfectly. So I actually do want to jump into our segment known as the lesson lens, where we get to dive deep into one specific unit or one specific lesson that you do in your classroom. So Matt and I have some prepared questions. So uh, take the conversation as you see fit, but try to just kind of answer the question that we're asking, because um, well, it'll it'll guide the conversation in that way. So question number one: Are you going to share with us a unit overview, a long-term project, or a single lesson?
1: Um, it'll be a lesson, but I also go into like a topic. We'll talk about the Black Plague. I really enjoy the Black
2: Plague. Perfect. Perfect. So this obviously is seventh grade history. Uh, is there a specific time of year that you teach this lesson?
1: I try to, as fitting as it is, teach it around Halloween. It always seems to fall, and I try to put my pacing so it's somewhere around the end of October, spooky season. Again, kind of the environment of around right. it fits everything. So what what are the objectives for the lesson? So. The The idea behind it is that they are exploring the plague itself because they come into seventh grade and they know a basis of it. Everybody caught in. I was like, ooh, the black plague and things like that. And the idea is they're going to trace it from where it started and how it ended and through the whole top to bottom, what happened? Not just a, hey, it was a disease that killed a lot of people. Well, what happened? Where did it come from? Why was everything OK in Europe? And then it just wasn't okay, and it was total, complete chaos. How did it go from good to not good? So in in this lesson, what would you say
2: are students actively doing throughout the lesson? What are their
1: responsibilities? How are they participating? So what happens is it's it's what I like to call a history mystery. And I have, I believe there's like nine different evidence that I hang around the room and this is like a um poster about help wanted poster for doctors. There's all kinds of things that people would have seen back then, or what we would interpret people would have seen back then. And they go in small groups and they look at it and they interpret it. They read it and go, okay, the objective is where the plague come from. That's they form a hypothesis. What do they think happened? Looking at this evidence, Okay, take these pieces of evidence and try to connect where, okay, this is what I thought. Well, let's circulate around and see different aspects, pieces of literature, pictures, things like that. Did the Black Plague come from where I thought it came from? And if it did, great. Here, give me some supporting evidence as to why. If it didn't, okay, you can change your theory because it becomes like an open theory and then provide me evidence. Like, okay, I thought it was this. But now I think it's actually this, and here's why.
0: That's really cool. So what while the students are investigating, what is your role to ensure their success?
1: So I dress up like a plague doctor. <laughs> I <laughs> I circulate the room as a plague doctor. And I facilitate the conversations if I notice that a group is having an issue with interpreting the literature. Or if it's one of those things where... I noticed that maybe one or two groups or, you know, not everybody's kind of moving around. I'll take one of them and I'll be like, hey, everybody, let's all look at A. You can stay where you are, but I, I'm going to explain to you A and try to get the, hey, look, it's it's not as hard as you're taking it or this can be fun. We, we can look at it. It doesn't have to be um, as rigorous as it is, but I'm kind of just facilitating those conversations. And then every, I think I give them like three or four minutes, circulate hey, let's go to the next piece of evidence and take a look and go from there. And I will over here and be like, not really assess them on it. But what conversations are they having? Are they going, oh, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Right. If I notice too much of that, I will close it off. And like I said, we will highlight certain pieces and be like, OK, let's go back to it.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, you know, the, the style of learning that I would imagine you bring into your classroom a lot. Um, as you look at this lesson we always look at reflection and how we could adjust or improve to take it just to that next level are there any considerations when looking at this lesson that you would like them to do that e- even bumps it up a little bit higher um, for the next time you teach it
1: and it's something that i'm looking at this year is okay make the connection of where it came from like why why do you think it came from there but then as we go through let's reconnect to the hypothesis that you made during this lesson during this activity like okay we've hit this part of the chapter well rats may have brought it okay how do we know based upon what we've read because you've already looked at evidence but how do we know based upon what we've read why that could have been a thing why did people think it would? and then usually it's the grand reveal where i tell them like well no one really knew like no one really knew where it where it came from. And it kind of takes them a second. They go, OK, so you were all correct, but I'm looking for you to prove your point. I'm looking for you to kind of, you know, support your idea, because there is a lot of support for many ideas. Um, you just have to look. Sam, I thinking about and tossing around the idea of having them present their hypothesis as a group. Like, OK, if everyone falls under this umbrella, then make a short presentation and we'll do two or three minutes of quick slides here. Here's what your classmates thought without talking to other people, like whether you're right or you're wrong and, you know, kind of go through that that way.
0: Something interesting to consider with that is uh, with the presentations is leveraging different strategies for it. So depending on how many groups you have, you could do uh, everybody stands up, presents in front of the class, you could leverage technology like Flipgrid where they have to kind of make a presentation. I do like that. And then you yeah. collect it digitally, then they could watch all of the presentations and they could even vote on like which one they think had the best the best source of evidence. Uh, another presentation style that I like doing is having now depending on how many groups you have it might not work for this project specifically, but I would have the kids kind of position station themselves around the room. Half the group is presenters and half the group is circulators and they just float from booth to booth. And what I liked about that style of presentation was I explained to the kids, it's very rare that you will stand up in front of large audiences and present. You're more likely to stand in an expo hall as a salesperson or as a company rep and have conversations. People walk in halfway through your conversation, people will walk up to you and ask specific questions. Other people walk up to you and just stare at you, waiting for you to deliver some sort of pitch. So kind of like creating that vibe, even inviting other classes or other adults into the room where they have to, you know, kind of just position themselves in a booth and present their information, but do it in a more dynamic fashion where
1: they don't have a, a concrete presentation time.
0: So just some ideas for different ways to bring that.
1: You that know, that, presentation that's just interesting because in. I actually have a room in my hallway that's not used, but it's like an old computer room. So it has those tables around. It's yeah. interesting. If not for this lesson, definitely for future lessons.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a fun way. And you then can just circulate and listen, grade them on the spot. <laughs> and it avoids the, you know, three days of kids presenting and everybody being bored. And, you know, it's hearing the same thing over and over again. So it's just it's a little bit more efficient with time as well. So, all right. Thank you for sharing that. That was, that was excellent. That's a, that's a neat way to, to introduce that and get the students involved and and investigating the content. So I want to jump into our last segment known as the exit ticket. Same four questions we ask every guest every week. Question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do
1: to make a student's school experience better? And it's going to be very short and sweet is just, be there for them, be, be that adult for them, because it, we don't know every student's home life and you know what may be going on, but you know, and I pitch it to the kids, is when you come into class, when you come into school, this can be your safe zone. Whatever's going on out there, we can put it on pause. We're not gonna be able to get rid of it, but we can put it on pause and at least you can hang out with friends and your teachers are gonna be here for you and just listen. Because sometimes they just need to talk or they just need somebody there to listen to them as they talk. Hmm. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten,
2: maybe that you think of frequently, and it could be from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student?
1: There was a student, and it goes in the conversation that I had today, and she said to me, she was like, what I liked about you is that you were fair. You treated me like like I was a human. You treated me like, and you were very fair with everybody. You never yelled at people that didn't need to be yelled at. You never took down on grades just for the sake of taking down on grades. And it, it was a it was a statement that I've heard from more than one student, and that was one of those where it 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 was like good advice. It was like you know what it, it approaching it with a just be fair, just be fair to to all of them, and you know I kind of carry that with me. Because again, it's like a reoccurring, you know, I hear it from students, you know, occasionally on the year when they write those little like thank you notes to former teachers. It's that word keeps popping up and it it struck me today, actually. And I was like, that's a very interesting something I'm going to keep in the back of my mind moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic thing, a fantastic trait for them to find, too. You know, that's what we all as educators want. You know, uh, it's not equal, but it's appropriate for each kid. Um. You're probably getting ready to experience one of these right now, but we, we understand that the school year goes in waves of, you know, the beginning of the school year uh, is usually a great time. You were talking about the grace period uh, where everyone's sitting politely and um, eagerly listening to all the rules and what have you. And we have times where, you know, we and the students struggle to to survive. That might be conferences, report cards or just difficult. Um, Uh, instructional topics. What is something you feel like every educator needs to hear to power up through that
1: moment of struggle? There is always at least one student that regardless of your energy is just happy to be around you. And and I always kind of carry that with a, there may be days where I think a total this year, I have 75 where 74 of them i get on their nerves they get on my nerves and we're just like you know we we are not vibing today we're good but we're not vibing today but i always power through and i always think like okay the fact that i was there was enough for some of them they may not have learned anything but the fact that i was there and i was around them and there for them was enough for them for that day And. Again, it, it's rough, I'm not saying it's not rough, but those are the little tidbits that I, I reflect on and I go, okay, hey, sc- school day's done, I was there for them, and that's all that matters. It, it really, in the end, and you know, it, regardless of the grade, regardless of what you teach, you're there for them, and that's really the, the key when it comes to everything.
0: So it's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What do you think separates teachers who are constantly seeking change innovation
1: and new teaching strategies what what separates them from other yeah or teachers i'll or like... I'll
0: even say for for you specifically since you're on the the earlier half of your career, what is gonna motivate you to seek to change innovate, and approach your classroom with new
1: teaching strategies i I always look at it as especially and you know, it really goes for all ages, but especially the middle school age, their interests as a whole always change. And my and my my motivation is if, if I wanna keep at this hundred and fifty percent energy, you know, regardless of the year, I need to be in tune with their interests. And I'm not talking like sports or things like that, but I'm talking technology versus like, okay, maybe the review game that I played three years ago they now look at it and go, okay, this is not fulfilling. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, So I need to constantly be researching new things, whether it be and, you know, rattle off a few it, and I found GimKit this year. And it's like little things where, okay, Kahoot used to work for me. Now it's not working for me. I need to find a way to be effective. How am I going to do that? That little bit of research because it doesn't take a lot of research. It doesn't take a lot of energy. And I think it's the perception that, Teachers who change do it because they spend hours, you know, researching things and like that. It doesn't have to be that. It just has to be little tidbits along the way to keep things interesting, to keep things. Because it's not just the students. It's also for the teacher itself. Like if I was doing the same things I was doing four years ago, I personally would get bored. I would be like, okay, it's the same routine as things like that. So I also do it for my my own entertainment. It's going to benefit the kids, but it's also going to make sure that I'm still... Fresh, and I'm still experiencing things, and I'm still using new things that they enjoy. It's a fantastic answer. So
2: I will say that you know it's been awesome to have this conversation with you, and kind of hear wise, but you know, newer perspectives of the classroom and the enthusiasm that you have for your classroom. whether, and please speak to your TikTok. I don't know if it's more, you know, fun and dance and engagement or, you know, instruction. I don't know if you use it in instruction at all, um, but just, you know, your use of it as well as how we can connect with you for your future
1: endeavors. So when, when it comes to TikTok, I, I use it for the trends and it, it's become my, where I find the school appropriate trends, whether it be a dance or whether it be a silly sound that's on there. And I always put some sort of text to summarize the week. Like now I usually go with Monday vibes. If I have a student that goes, oh, Mr. Tater, you haven't posted a TikTok. I'll pick a day and i will be like, all right, we were very Wednesday vibes. And then, hey, have a great weekend and post it. And I will do some sort of silly dance. Sometimes I will use it for motivation. I will have students be like, oh my gosh, you haven't posted a TikTok. I'll be like, look, we'll take a test. If we get at least three or four 100s, hundreds, I'll you can pick the dance. And I have had students hey show me a dance if it's appropriate last five minutes show me a dance and i will learn it and And it's that that little thing for there i i could use it for educational purposes, and occasionally i will but it it kind of is like that this is mr tater on the outside of the classroom let's you know kind of make that connection and post a caption at the bottom that kind of encapsulates everybody, because I have former students that follow me and students that I don't even have who are in the building that follow me. It does make it very general, like, hey, ha- keep powering through, keep being positive. If you need anything, this is my room. And just kind of, again, I'm not in their living room, and I'm not on the bus with them, but I- I'm popping up on their phone screens, and they know that-, that I'm there for them.
0: That's awesome. And if you want to not only enjoy your awesome TikTok videos, but also maybe follow you a little bit professionally on the outside stuff as well. You can uh, follow Matt on Twitter at at Coach Tater eighty uh, four. You do a pretty good job of posting your TikTok videos on there, which is <clears throat> honestly why you're sitting on this podcast now. I saw three or four of them as I was scrolling through social media, and I said, "All right, if this guy is willing to do this for kids, I need to get him on the podcast, and we need to talk to him and, and connect with him." Um, so uh, you're you're an enjoyable as well as an informative person to follow on Twitter as well. so I would encourage people to to look at you there as well. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Um, your students are clearly really lucky to have you as much as you progress and you change and you innovate and you adapt the way you approach the class instructionally, don't lose sight of your core foundation, which is clearly forming great relationships with the kids and and making every effort to do so. So we will link up to your social media handles as well as anything else from this show on our show notes page, which can be found at powereduup.com slash show92. Uh, that's where you can find everything. Uh, you can also find a button on that page to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us find more educators and let more teachers hear the amazing stories and ideas that we get to hear on our podcast on a weekly basis with our awesome guests. So Matt Tater, thank you very much. Matt Rogers, why don't you take us on out of here? Gentlemen, thank you
2: very much. I appreciate it. All right. As we power down this episode, the other Matt, you have left us feeling powered up. Thank you for what you shared. Uh, Everyone have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators we are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations if you haven't already please consider sharing this with a colleague someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations because of powered up we are powering education by empowering you